this uh, Bible topic was selected by my younger brother, Richard, who has some questions about why we meet on Saturday evening. And it brings up a host of questions and situations that might be helpful for us to understand. Why, what does the Bible teach about days? And particularly, might think about holy days or, you know, holidays. Uh, do we worship on these on these days or not? Uh, how should we approach them? Well, if you see a typical church bulletin, doesn't matter what church it is, if it's church A, B, C, or X, Y, Z, you're going to see something like this here. You see an hour service. Sunday, just have a Bible class, 10 a.m., worship 11 a.m., evening service at 6 p.m., plus or minus half an hour, hour, something like that. And some will even have worship before the Bible class and the Bible class afterwards, like they do at Sierra Madre. And you'll have like Wednesday to have Bible study. But some churches, they don't have Wednesday evening Bible study. They don't have like they call Wednesday uh, prayer service. That's actually uh, um, a couple of generations ago, it was typically Wednesday prayer meeting. Then they changed it to Bible study. Now some churches change it so they meet on Friday evenings or something like that. And there are many churches that don't have Sunday evening service at all. But the question that brings up to mind is, to what degree are these things biblical or the traditions? And if they're traditions, are they good traditions or not necessarily good? So we're going to try to examine and get a Bible answer because we need to seek the Bible for all of our answers in life as it is here. Okay, some churches even call Sunday their Sabbath, like the Catholics and Congregationalists, Presbyterian, Methodist, and Baptist, have in some of their official documents or creeds or catechism, actually refer to Sunday as the Christian Sabbath. Now, the Episcopalian or Church of England or Anglicans, they, some do and some do not. So is Sunday our Sabbath day? We need to see what does the scripture really say. Here's the issue. This is what it comes down to. How much of what people do is really found in the Bible? How much is it a matter of tradition? And how much of these things can we be flexible on and say, well, these are matters of uh, good advice, but uh, you know, you're not obligated by them. Because there's some churches that make it seem like if you don't attend Wednesday or Sunday evening that you're sinning, or they almost make it sound that way, and it's just being very strict. But does the Bible really teach this? All right. You look at see, the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 25. Some churches like the Seventh-day Adventist says that in the last days there will be a person who can exalt himself above others, that he is more holy, and that he will uh, see persecute uh, Christians, uh, see, and will intend to change times and laws, uh, that he will actually change the Sabbath day as it is here. And it was called uh, the Sabbath day Sunday because as we study the scriptures the Sabbath day is not Sunday but it's Saturday and Deuteronomy chapter 5 Deuteronomy chapter 5 uh, see verse 12 down to you to uh, verse 15 here but uh, read what it says here 
Observe the Sabbath day. This is a part of the Ten Commandments. To keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughters, servants, ox, beasts of burdens, even stranger who's visiting with you. They're not to work, they're to rest as well. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So we're to, uh, commanded to keep the Sabbath day, and that is the sixth day. The sixth day is Saturday, which has been Friday sunset, Saturday sunset. So why do we worship on Sunday? Or why, the question that my brother asked me, why do we uh, get together with the house church on Saturday evening? Well, let's ask this question. When does the day begin? Well, most of the world today uh, say that the day begins at midnight. But actually, you see, the midnight observance began, see, with the old friendly uh, Greeks, and, but the Romans made it a law. Uh, it became a civil law that the day begins at midnight. Or the Egyptians, they say that it began at dawn or sunrise. The Egyptians and Babylonians says that the day, you count the day starting with dawn or sunrise. Or see, like uh, <clears throat> you see in this uh, <clears throat> Ba's relief here, Akintan or Amenhotep IV, Pharaoh of Egypt. He says, no, if you look at noon, if you have a stick up there, it casts practically no shadow. But a shadow moves towards the stick and moves away from the stick at noontime. And he says that it's obvious that there is no God but one God. And that God is the one that's responsible for the sun. Because you notice all the flowers, they bloom and they bow down to the sun. Everything works around the sun. So Amenhotep IV reversed many of the uh, teachings of the earlier pharaohs and says that polytheism is, can't be true. There cannot be a moon god and a... A uh, river god and a lightning god and a soil god, but he said there has to be one god and one god only. So he taught monotheism. But if you notice, when you talk about dawn or sunrise, when you talk about noon, these are astronomical events based upon see the movement of the earth. Midnight, well, it's just dividing the the nighttime in half. So half the day is night, half the day is day. But according to the Bible, it's a very unusual thing because it's not an astronomical event, but supposedly based on a historical event. According to the Bible, the day begins at sunset or evening, right? When the sun is out of sight. We get this from Genesis chapter 1. Well, some people say, well, how do we really know when it actually begins, when the sun is out of sight, but we still see the, the a brightness. Even though the orb of the sun is not in sight, we still see some light. So some start making up rules. Well, 
the Sabbath hasn't started until you can count three stars. We see three stars. Okay, then we know for sure we have some leeway that the day, that the day has begun. But what if a person has poor vision? What if they can't see three stars very well? When will it start for them? When so the Jewish people today, uh, in many, especially among the um, uh, Reformed Jews and some conservative Jews, not the Orthodox Jews, they just says, "We'll start the day at about six o'clock p.m." Because you have to understand, look at the map here. If you look at the map here and you look at San Diego, all right, San Diego. Uh, and then you look at the upper arrow near the top at Washington, Seattle. They're both in the same time zone, Pacific Standard Time. But in Seattle, the sun sets uh, one hour and four minutes later than San Diego because it's the higher latitude. So the thing is, well, wait a minute. If we're in the same time zone and our brothers and sisters are keeping the Sabbath at six o'clock, for example, why do we wait till 6.30 or something like that? So uh, Reformed Jews and many other Jews and Jews down to the century says, let's just make it six o'clock, six o'clock. So we worship on the first day of the week, Churches of Christ, and the house church we chose 6.30 p.m. to give us a little bit of leeway time, half an hour more than six o'clock. But the thing is that our time right now, 6.30, is the same as like 10.30 time in Asia or Beijing or in China or in Taiwan. This is really making me different. Well, we're going to explore this a little further here. But hopefully this will answer, see, uh, partially to my brother, why we worship on Saturday evening. Because we're not in competition with Church ABC or XYZ. We, we know some Chinese who go to these mega Chinese churches and they on Sunday morning, they go to their uh, home church. And we're not trying to take people away from their church. We just want them to come and study so we can have a meaningful Bible study. But then on Sunday, they prefer to go to church ABC right wisely and that's their prerogative to do so. Say God bless you in doing so. So we just glad we had to believe a little bit. But in Genesis chapter one, Notice what it says here. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness. So the day began with darkness. Then verse 3, then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then see verse 5, God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came, marking the first day. So you can see that the first day was the evening and the morning. So according to the Bible, the day begins with the evening, not midnight, not at the sunrise, not at dawn, not at noontime. And people say, oh, that's just Jewish teaching. Well, keep in mind, uh, Genesis chapter 1 uh, precedes the time of Abraham and Isaac before there was a, a, a tribe of people called Jewish people or Israelites. So this is not a Jewish teaching, it's a biblical teaching. According to the Bible, the day begins with the evening. In Ellicott's commentary for the English reader, 
it says that upon the first day of the week, referring to Acts 20, verse 7, on the first day of the week, it says that this is a distinct proof that the church had began observing the weekly festival, the resurrection, on what we'll call Saturday evening. That it seems probable that in churches, uh, the early church was consisted mainly of Jews or Jewish converts, and they would have reckoned time by the Jewish framework. In other words, they would count the day starting with sunset, as it is here. That was a Jewish mode of reckoning. That is what they would have kept. That is what they would have began in the early church. The day that we would know, referred to as Saturday. Saturday evening, as it is here. And it continued on. In this case, the meeting of which we read would be held on what we would call Saturday evening, Acts 20, verse 7, when Paul preached and the young man Eutychus fell from the second floor, as you may recall. And the feast will present some analogies to the prevalent Jewish custom of eating bread and drinking wine at that time in honor of the departed Sabbath, uh, according to a Jewish scholar that this was the case here. The pulpit commentary, which is a well-known reference source, says that Acts 27, the first day of the week, is an important evidence of the keeping of the Lord's day by the church as a day for meeting. And that going down to the bottom of this page, comparing the phrase to break bread with St. Luke's account of the institution of the Holy Eucharist and Paul's language, he said it's impossible not to conclude that taking the Lord's Supper was an essential part of weekly service. There are some churches that keep the Lord's Supper once a year, once a month, or quarterly. But we know from the very beginning that the church, the Christians, kept communion or the Lord's Supper every Lord's Day or every Sunday, which at this time was this time was a Saturday evening as it is here. Okay. So this is a practice of the early church here. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, in the Good News translation, also the New English Bible, he specifically referred to this. He said, on Saturday evening, we gathered together for the fellowship meal. Paul spoke to the people and kept on speaking until midnight, since he was going to leave the next day. So here we have specifically pointed out the first day of the week was Saturday evening because the day began with sunset to sunset. So the first day of the week would be Saturday sunset to Sunday sunset as it was here. I would like to share with you this thought here. I went to Fuller Theological Seminary to do a research for my graduate studies at Pepperdine. And I saw on the magazine rack in the library at Fuller Seminary in Pasadena, and it had their magazine, the magazine, the periodical of the National Association of Evangelicals, and as I flipped through the current issue back then, they had an article entitled, The Twilight of the Sunday Evening Service. And it mentioned that everywhere you go across the country, Sunday evening service attendance is dwindling. Why is that the case? 
And the editorial comment mentioned that, well, we have to understand Sunday evening service was not practiced in the early church. That Sunday evening worship began with Oliver Cromwell, the Church of England, the 17th century. The churches in the early century worship on Saturday evening and Sunday morning. Then later they dropped Saturday evening, they worship Sunday morning and sometimes Sunday afternoon. But Oliver Cromwell was worried in the 17th century with the Puritans and others that people were engaging in frivolous uh, worldly pleasures like ball games and other amusement that they started, uh, they worried that they weren't being spiritual. So he established that we're going to have a Sunday evening worship. That way, it will keep uh, church members occupied with spiritual activities from sunrise to sunset, as it is here. But we don't have any regular Sunday evening worship prior to the 17th century. So there were individuals that may have met on a Sunday evening, but that was uh, rare and far few between. And a lot of people aren't aware of that. So what about Sunday evening service or Wednesday Bible service or prayer meetings or holidays like Christmas and so forth? Uh, are they things that we as Christians should observe? Are these biblical? Are they traditional practices? Uh, passed on by the apostles, or are they just merely traditions of people of men? In Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse fifteen, the Bible says, "So then, brothers and sisters, hold firmly to the traditions we, meaning the apostles, that we taught you, whether we taught you in person or through our letters, meaning the epistles, like epistles of Paul or Peter." So he says. You are to hold on to traditions if they are taught by us because we get it from God. But be careful of traditions of men that are not by God. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 8 to 10, we're warned. Jesus says, These people draw near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips. They pay lip service, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me. Vain is the word that we get from the vanity mirror, where you hold a vanity mirror when you gussy yourself up. The word vanity or vain means empty. It means that their worship is worthless, it's empty. They teach us doctrines, the commandments of men. Then he called the multitude himself and said to them, hear and understand. We are to keep that tradition if they are traditions of the apostles. But if they're man-made traditions, we have to be cautious as to what our motives are for keeping them as they are. In Romans chapter 14, talking about Christmas, I don't know about you, but I love Christmas. Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year for me. Uh, my favorite holiday is Thanksgiving. It's the most uh, solemn and quiet Christmas. But I love the spirit of Christmas. Romans chapter 14 says, One person is deemed one day above another, 
Okay, you like Fourth of July, some people like uh, Halloween. Another esteem every day of life. Follow what it says. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. You think about it, you make up your own decision. God says, I'm not going to legislate here. I'm not going to be pointing fingers. You become convinced in your own mind. He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day, to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat, he gives thanks. For none of us live to himself and no one dies himself. We are not an island unto ourselves. So the whole idea behind all of this is this. It is this here, and that is that. Um, if you like to observe Christmas, by all means, have the most wonderful Christmas you can have. But at, on the other hand, uh, I know some people feel that Christmas is pagan. Well, if you don't want to observe Christmas, that's okay too. If you like to attend Wednesday evening or Sunday evening, that's great. But if you don't want to, it's not a spin. I think it's wonderful if you can attend more than one service a, a week. Why? Because here it says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever is good, whatever is pure, what can build up, what can encourage you, whatever things are good report, if it's virtuous, praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learn and received and heard and saw in me, Paul wrote, these I want you to do, and the God of peace will be with you. So it's not that Wednesday evening or Sunday evening is obligatory, or that you're sinning if you don't attend, but it's nice to attend to encourage one another and to derive spiritual encouragement from it as well. I think it's wonderful if you can come and study the Bible more often than less often, but at the same time, it should not ever be made like it's a condition, it's a requirement, uh, or it's a sin if you don't, or anything like that. And it's unfortunate that some churches teach that or act that way, probably because they want your attendance for whatever reason may be the case here. Okay. But one thing we do have to understand is this. Despite the fact that some churches claim that um, Sunday is the Christian Sabbath, we have to understand nowhere in the Bible does it teach that Sunday is the Christian Sabbath. So even though the Catholic Church and the Baptist Church and Methodist Church and Church of England and others may teach this, it's not the Sabbath. It's not taught in the scriptures. In fact, Timothy Dwight, uh, president of Yale University, wrote a book in, in 1823, Theology Explained Defended. He wrote, the Christian Sabbath Sunday is not in the scriptures and was not by the primitive church called a Sabbath. In other words, you would think that the ancient church, the early church, the first 300 years of church, they would justify why they worship on Sunday and call it the Christian Sabbath. But no, they never called it the Christian Sabbath. 
So it would behoove me to, since I want to worship like the early church did, I want to worship like Peter, Paul, and John did. I, I don't, I never refer to uh, Sunday as the Christian Sabbath. Because if, you, if that was the case, if Friday sunset to uh, Saturday sunset is Sabbath day, why don't we make this day the worship? Well, I'll talk to you next week more. But if, if Sunday is the Christian Sabbath, then people who claim to follow their denomination and that Sunday is the Sabbath, then they should not work on Sunday, except for essential uh, secular work, such as police work, fire work, paramedics and hospital work, but you can't operate restaurants, you can't sell things uh, or attend amusement parks. And I, I think, see, that's wrong. Uh, I'm sorry, but uh, Sunday is not the Christian Sabbath day. Right? If you want to attend a ball game on Sunday, uh, that's up to you. Uh, hope to see you at church on Sunday or first day of the week. And, uh, Friday sunset, I mean Saturday sunset or Sunday sunset. But since we established that Sunday is not the Christian Sabbath, but Saturday is the biblical Sabbath, why do we not worship on Saturday morning like the Seventh day Adventist? Well, there's a simple reason for it. Because the Bible says it was done away with. Galatians chapter 4, verse 30 to 31. Hagar was a, um, a servant. And she bore children, Ishmael and his descendants. And Sarah bore a child, Isaac, which became the future of the Jewish nation, Israel. And Paul continued, wrote, but what does scripture say? Get rid of the slave woman and her son. For the slave woman's son will never share an inheritance with the free woman's son. Now, it may sound harsh, but if you actually read the story, that's not what happened. When he says, get rid of her, he means uh, send her away. Uh, Abraham sent uh, Hagar away but make sure she had plenty of food and provision and beasts with her. But because of the jealousy between uh, Hagar and Sarah, for peace in the family, uh, see, it's like, it's either me or her, Sarah would say. They said, okay, I have to send Hagar away. But he did not get rid of her in the mean way. He sent her with much provision. Look up the scripture and you'll see that. Verse 31, therefore, brothers and sisters, we are not children of slave woman, but of the free woman. In uh, Galatians chapter 4, if you read the earlier verse, it says that we are children of the free woman, which is Jerusalem from above. But Hagar, the servant woman, is Jerusalem of earth here, and that which was given on Mount Sinai. What was given on Mount Sinai? The Ten Commandments. What was in the Ten Commandments? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Well, since the beginning of creation, the Sabbath day has always been Friday sunset to Saturday sunset. 
But notice, we're never given a prescription on how to observe it. In fact, if you ask a Jewish um, priest today, are Gentiles required to observe the Sabbath day? I've asked Jewish rabbis this, and the Jewish rabbis will tell you this, no, that command was given to the Jews. If you look at Deuteronomy chapter five, the passages before the one I showed you on the earlier screen, it says, is to us, and it was not to our forefathers, but to us this day, not to our forefathers, this command. So the thing is that, yes, the Sabbath day was what we call Saturday evening, but we were not prescribed that you can't work or do no secular entertainment or thoughts or anything along that line. And refer to the Jews because he says, remember that God with my hand brought us out of Egypt. Therefore, now, as far as I know of, my ancestry does not include Jewish blood. I did one of those genetic tests and it's indicated that I might have some Filipino blood, some Vietnamese blood. Uh, hear that, Steve? I have Vietnamese blood. <laughs> and hear that, Richard? I have some Filipino blood. And see, Chinese blood. But no Jewish blood in me. I did it 